Blame Game Victims, Challenging the Four Invaders Hidden Within Us. Today we'll be closing the loophole on conscience relief. Are you a fan of vampire movies? I for one am not. But there's one thing for sure that I see in this genre of films, and that is that light is a separating factor in distinguishing the good guys from the dead guys. And because of that, we can learn a powerful lesson from them. Namely, just like the walking undead lose their power when exposed to light, so do secrets. When our secrets are exposed, the heart gets freed from the oppressive power of guilt, and they get exposed through confession. I'm not, however, speaking about the simple admission, admission of blame confession that we are too accustomed to, because that type of confession is, is designed to temporarily ease our conscience, but doesn't do anything towards exposing our deeper secrets. And these secrets are the very things that keep our hearts locked in turmoil. What makes matters worse is that this type of confession may also be conducive to destructive behavior instead of alleviating it. This then may lead to more secrets and even more guilt. How so? Well, in the King James Version, 1 John 1, 9, it says, We confess our sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There are many that have learned this verse when they were children. And it's like, wow, this is too good to be true. I mess up. I own up to it, God forgives me, and I move on. Man, I think I've just found one of the greatest loopholes ever. Eventually, this verse will actually become an escape hatch. And then, do you know what happens? Each night, you have a talk with God, usually about your sin. You try to remember every sin that you may have committed that day, and you confess them. And to make sure that you included everything, you also ask for forgiveness for the sins that you can't remember. Now you can sleep well knowing that your bucket of sins has been emptied. You try to forget the fact that tomorrow the bucket will, will get filled up again and most likely with many of the same sins that you had just confessed. But hey, I confessed, right? I did what the verse stated and now God would have to make good on his promise. But what happens is that the danger of a nefarious trend developing is a very good possibility. When the temptation to sin occurs, you may reason inwardly that you were about to say or do something wrong, but if you actually go through with it, you can always confess it to God. He'll forgive you and everything is good. What will most certainly happen is that your confession habit will now be supporting your sin habit. It is quite the system you now have in place because you have discovered a loophole. The truth, about, the truth of the matter is that everyone plays this game in one form or another. I grew up in the Roman Catholic Church and we had a similar system with a bit of a twist. We could basically do whatever we wanted, then go into the confessional, and while we were behind the shield, lay it all out there to the priest who didn't know our identity. He would then give us a penance to uh, perform, 
which was usually a number of Hail Marys to say, or Our Fathers, etc. We then went on our way and did things all over again. What a great system. Seems like a similar loophole. I think that you'll agree that these two types of confession didn't really have any substantial differences. The truth of the matter is that these types of confession are all about guilt relief and not made as a step towards real change. Come on, we all know that we we'd be come on, we all knew that we'd be back the next day confessing the same sins. We didn't really care about changing our bad habits, but rather we just wanted to feel better. You may have your own version of this confession game, and if you do, I'm sure that you've been playing it for a very long time. Some confess to God directly, some confess to a priest, but the one thing that is true of both is that none are really interested in changing anything. But you know what? Wow! We feel better about ourselves. We have convinced ourselves that there is no more cloud over us. Our slate is clean, God is no longer on our case, and maybe he's even on our side again. But, and this is a big but, would you be on the side of someone who treated you in this way? I mean, come on, really. You are probably way ahead of me on this, but let's look at an example of a family member who stole from you on a consistent basis. Maybe it was an embarrassment to you out in public and even has talked about you behind your back. But every week or so, he or she presented you with the general apology. But then, in as fast a manner as the apology was accepted, he or she was back doing and saying the same things. And the best part is that whenever he or she gets in a jam, you are the first person that gets the call to help them out. What would you think of this type of relationship? Even with sincere forgiveness given by you each and every time, I think that you would agree that the relationship would begin to erode until the point where there would be no relationship. Would you feel used? Would you feel insulted? Would you feel like an idiot in his or her eyes? I'm sure you will have to begin to question the sincerity of the repeated apologies. Hopefully, you, you've already made the connection. I mean, really, our approach to confession is an insult to our Heavenly Father. Thank goodness that He is a God of unconditional love. If that wasn't true, we would be in a world of hurt. Because I don't think that a God that wasn't so loving would stay in a relationship with anyone that would treat him this way. So what happened? How do we end up in this endless cycle? Why have we allowed confession to become a method that makes sinning easier rather than a method of putting an end to it? This is a great question and hopefully it is one that you are thinking about and truly want an answer to. The reason that we play the game of confession is that at some point in our lives, we were taught that its true purpose was conscience relief. We were taught that confession will make us feel better about what we have done or said. And if you want to be real about it, we think that confession will in some way help God to feel better about what we have said or done. In accordance with our warped way of thinking, confession reverts everything back to the way it was before we said or did whatever it was that made us feel like confession was 
necessary. You know what, people? This doesn't make any sense on any level. How can confessing to God help you right a wrong that you inflicted on another person? Where is the restoration in that? How does that help the wronged individual? This neither makes any sense, nor does it work. This type of confession does not remove our guilt. We can use the analogy of taking a pain tablet. Our quick prayers of confession may take the edge off our pain, but they don't heal the wound caused by our sin. This is why you get caught up in the endless cycle of repeating and confessing the sins of your past over and over and over again. No matter how often you try, the guilt still remains. So what's the purpose of confession? The short English definition of confession is to admit or acknowledge something. In the scripture, confession is associated with change. It is just one step in a sequence of steps that lead the guilty out of the darkness and into the light. It is simply the start of a process that will lead to a change in lifestyle or behavior. In early Catholicism, you could only repent of a sin once. You weren't allowed to confess the same sins over and over. The reason for this is that after you completed your penance, it was expected that there would be a change. In the scriptures, confession is connected with restitution, repentance, and restoration. In the Old Testament, confession was always public and associated with restitution. In Numbers 5, 6, and 7, it says, When a man or woman wrongs another in any way, and so is unfaithful to the Lord, that person is guilty and must confess the sin he has committed. He must make full restitution for his wrong, add one-fifth to it, and give it, to all, and give it all to the person he has wronged. For the Jew, this wasn't about feeling better about yourself, but rather about making things right with the one you had sinned against, with interest. God wanted change. It wasn't enough just to be sorry. By having to go public with your sin and also make restitution, people were certainly motivated to change. When John the Baptist arrived on the scene, he called for repentance in addition to confession of sins. And in Mark 1, verses 4 and 5, and I'm reading from the NASB version, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. And this wasn't privately done. This was public confession made in connection with public repentance. Public acknowledgement of their intention to live a different lifestyle was characteristic of John's audience. It wasn't their desire to just ease their conscience. They wanted to unload their sin and change direction. Confession was not a means to feel better about what they had said or done. It was a public step in an effort to abandon sin. Later on in the New Testament, we find the record of the evil tax collector Zacchaeus. He followed the 
the Old Testament model of confession, but gave four times what he had illegally taken rather than the required one-fifth. Zacchaeus was a wicked man considered to be a traitor to his nation. He had wronged many of his fellow Jews, leaving a trail of relational wreckage in his wake. But he was changed when Jesus visited him at his house that special day. He had given up on hope and forgiveness a long time ago, but in Jesus he found them. Somehow Zacchaeus knew that confession on his part was not enough. He realized that this was only a first step. In Luke 19.8 it says, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I had cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus didn't stop Zacchaeus from doing that, which he knew instinctively that he had to do. He didn't stop with just receiving the confession. He didn't stop Zacchaeus from making a public spectacle of himself. He instead said in essence that now I know for sure that salvation has come to this house. Your public admission is evidence of a changed heart. In addition to admitting his past sins, he took public responsibility for them. This was confession in the truest sense of the word. The Bible speaks over and over again about confession in terms of life change, not in terms of conscience relief. It is never offered as a substitute for repentance, but rather as a first step towards it. James 5, 15, 6, 15, 16 has something to say about the role of confession. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick, sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The indication here is that illness is sometimes caused by hidden sin. And because this may be a possibility, the smartest thing you can do is confess not only to God, but to other people. To say it plainly, bring out your secrets into the light. Where have I heard that one before? Based on this message of scripture, physical and spiritual restoration is preceded by confession. I don't see anything here about conscience relief or feeling better about yourself or cleaning your slate with God. Confession is a first step toward change. Do you think that Jesus had this in mind when he spoke the words which are penned in Matthew 5, 23 and 24? It says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Can you imagine the things that someone in Jesus' audience might be thinking when they heard these words? This was, without a doubt, a new take on the law. And even worse than being new, it was majorly inconvenient. And after all, isn't our relationship with God supposed to be first on our list? Don't you think 
God wants us to get things right with him before we get things right with our neighbor? Do we or do we not put God first? But along comes Jesus, the rebel, and puts everything in reverse. He basically says that our relationship with God hinges on our relationship with other people, and the two are inseparable. The implication is, is, is that our ability to worship God sincerely and fellowship with Him unashamedly is committed, oh, I'm sorry, is contingent upon the status of our relationship with others, including those that we have offended. In order to resolve your differences with God, you must be willing to resolve your differences with the people around you. This is the truth. If you are out of fellowship with others over something that you have done, you cannot be in fellowship with the Father. You have to confess openly to someone you have wronged, and confessing secretly to God or a priest is no substitute for that. Relationships are valued by God, and he considers restoration a priority. This often requires confession, not just to God, but to the offended party. If you want to walk with God, then you have to make that dreaded call, setting up that awkward appointment, writing that letter that is long overdue. Humility is key here. You have to own up to your part of the problem and do everything you can to make those relationships right. Something remarkable just may happen when you swallow your pride and take that extra step. The power of sin will be broken in your life as guilt loses its foothold in your heart. What has the power to break the cycle of sin? Open confession does. That is actually the purpose of confession. When applied properly, it works just like medicinal remedies do when properly applied. When you confess your sins to those you've sinned against, there is a strong possibility that you're not going to repeat those same sins again. When we confess our sins silently to God, it gives us an out. And maybe that's why we are more comfortable doing that. We can repeat our sins without being embarrassed. Rather than maybe... I think that it's a fact that this is why we confess secretly. After all, we all know that we're going to repeat the offense. But man, when we force ourselves to confess to the ones we have offended, there is a good chance that we, won't, we will not have to confess the same thing a second time. This is big and will hold true in every situation. Guilty people are usually repeat offenders. As long as you carry a secret, as long as you use the I'm sorry card with God to clear your conscience, you are setting yourself up for a repeat offense. But confession, the way God designed confession to be applied, breaks the cycle of sin and guilt. But you know what? That's just the beginning. See you next time.